0: and to honor and obey his word in our daily lives. Now, I'm exceptionally excited about this particular series because it's different. And so I'm really looking forward to what the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to all of us as we come month by month. So let's pray and ask him that he would come between you and me, and that he would help you to clearly understand uh, this study tonight, this introduction to our series. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you. I bow before you in Jesus' name, and I ask my God that you would um, fill me, Lord God, with your presence, with your power, and Holy Spirit, that you would speak clearly through me to my sister's heart's through their ears, and deep into their hearts and souls, Lord God, that they would grasp what you want them to grasp from this tonight and for the, steri- the studies that are to come, Lord. I thank you for their coming tonight, for hearing the call on their hearts to be here, and for all those that might listen tonight on um, online. Hi, Rita. Hi, Sally. I love you and miss you, girls. Uh, I pray that you would be ministered to, each one of you, through the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, if you have a calendar, uh, then you've seen our theme title and our theme verse and our study titles. So you know that we are going to study the topic of joy. Now, there is a distinct difference between being happy and having the joy of the Lord. Now, under the definition of happy, the word joy is also there in the definition. Now, happiness is typically a short-lived experience because it's based on everything being perfect and staying perfect. Um, Now, I had a lot of examples for that, but you all know what makes you joyful, right? What makes you happy and how it can come to an end really quick. Uh, Back in June, my husband and I were blessed to go to Maui to celebrate our 50th anniversary and uh it was I we had never been there so it was such a blessing and so he and I were super happy and joyful experiencing an amazing steak dinner and shrimp while listening to the waves crash on Maui's shore and I couldn't even believe that was happening to us and I'm like oh, I can't believe It was a super expensive steak dinner, too. And I'm like, wow, what a pleasure, what a joy to be experiencing that. And then just two weeks later, Lahaina, where we shopped, where we dined, where we got to meet the locals, where we saw the sights and saw the plumeria trees, it all burnt down. It all burnt down, and many people lost their lives that day. Now, there is no joy in disasters or in bad news. But as believers in the God Most High, what do we do? We get up and we keep moving forward. It's not that we are cold, hard-hearted people, but because our faith and hope is anchored in Jesus, so we don't drift away in our sorrows and our depressions. So we're not going to study tonight and beginning in the studies ahead just ordinary joy. We're going to study extraordinary joy, the kind of joy that springs up out of dark times in our lives, under the worst of trials, under the worst of pressures, and even persecution. And ladies, I believe we're going to see more of that in the times to come. I really do. They hate us because they hated Jesus They will hate us. The Apostle Peter calls this joy that we're going to look at inexpressible. In other words, it's beyond words. And have you ever been in a a situation where the Lord has met you in the darkest hour, and he's met you in such a way that when you try to describe that to somebody, it's so hard. It's inexpressible. It's something you say, you know what? You have to experience this in your own life when he meets you in those dark places. And for me, a lot of times when I'm in those kinds of places, I worship. And a lot of times I'm driving in my car and I was talking to my sister about that. And I crank up Caleb and they play every right song <laughs> I needed to hear. And I'm worshiping and just it just lifts me. And that's a a time that we could be lifted out of those sorrows, realizing that our God is with us. And if he is for us, who can, or what, could be against us. So our title is Count It All Joy. Now, these are words that we find in the book of James, which will be our home base for all of our Bible studies in this season. However, we do have the luxury of the whole Bible. Um, from cover to cover. And I say it's a luxury because there are people, Christians in other countries, that don't have a Bible. They might have pages of the Bible, and they, and they each will share a page. We have the luxury of the whole Bible. Still, that may change someday. In 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17, I like to quote this scripture at the beginning of every season. All scripture from Genesis to Revelation is inspired by God. And is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Now, the book of James has five chapters, and each chapter is packed tightly, like a well-packed suitcase for a long journey, and I'll call it a long journey into eternity. Now, I promise we're not going to keep you here till the rest of your life. But have you ever been on a long journey where you get a suitcase and you you know you can only take so big of a suitcase because the nowadays they charge you for every piece of luggage in addition and extra weight. And so we try to cram everything we need to take for a long journey whether it's 2 weeks, 3 weeks or if you go longer into maybe one big suitcase so you have to you know think through like okay i need to take three pairs of pants three pairs of or three shirts three pairs of chonies socks you know <laughs> whatever it is you you make well more than 3 right you got to take a lot of stuff <laughs> and you got to pack it in there well that's the way these studies are going to be they are packed with truth and there is no way we could give it all to you so each teacher is going to teach you the main principles of the book of James as it pertains to bringing out the joy in you. <clears throat> now, in laying down the foundation for this series, and that's what this is the foundation, um, I want to enlighten you on a few things so that you can understand how I landed on the book of James and how I came up with the titles for our studies. Because you may be confused just like my sisters were, my my fellow teachers that will be coming up to teach when I presented this theme to them. They're like, what? I mean, joy is only mentioned once, and that is in the very beginning. You see, most teachers, Bible teachers, teaching on joy, specifically the joy of the Lord, would probably not choose to use the book of James. Now, they might use our theme verse as uh, one of the scriptures Uh, In describing joy but they would never use it as a foundational book to use but I prayed and I prayed and when the Lord kept bringing me back to James I'm like oh no no let's go somewhere else and so I kept looking and the Holy Spirit says nope I want you in James and so as I started studying it myself and I realized okay I get it Lord I get it and that's what I'm hoping you will get tonight. Now I have a confession to make, a little transparency here. James says so much. And James says in five sixteen, confess your trespasses or your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Well, I personally needed some healing. So and it says, I'm sorry, I needed some healing. So what was my sin? Because he says, I'm going to confess to you right now something that was going on with me. James says in uh, 417, if you know to do good and you don't do it, it is sin. So what was my sin? Well, I've shared with you before that I'm a watcher, that I, I watch sheep. I watch people. And I was called to do that. But I was growing weary in doing that. This last year has been an incredibly difficult year for the eyes to my soul. And it wasn't just Maui, because that really did break my heart. And hearing the news, I I was glued to the TV listening and watching these people. But also just the condition of our country, the condition of our world and the darkness that's taking over and um, so it wasn't that long ago that I started feeling I didn't feel right I just didn't feel right and I thought for sure that there was something wrong with me and I told my husband I go there's something wrong with me I don't know what's wrong with me but I just don't feel good and you know I've been sick a lot I think you got girls have prayed for me but even my sicknesses were sick and tired of being sick and so they kept saying like, my sicknesses, go to the doctor, go to the doctor." So I went to the doctor, and I was convinced that my, my cancer has to be back, and it's just taking over my body. And that's what's the warning sign, right? Your body gives you warning signs. And so I went and they did all of the tests, and everything came back okay. Not excellent, but okay. So what is wrong with me? Well, it took one word spoken to me by my precious sister and my good friend that said, you know, this world needs joy. And that day I drove away, and I realized I lost my joy. That's what's wrong with me. I have no joy. When we are suffering, sometimes it isn't necessarily physically, it's spiritually. And isn't joy a work of the Spirit? And so all of the cares of the world and all of these issues were draining me dry of my joy the cares of the world they were choking me out literally and as a pastor's wife i'm a burden bearer in galatians 6:2 it says bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of christ james 2:8 says if you says if you really fulfilled the royal law that's part of the 10 commandments of the scriptures you shall love your neighbor as yourself and you do well if you do and so I was doing these things, loving you, loving my family, bearing burdens the best I could through prayer and and just thinking about you all the time. Well my burdens and my own burdens and my family's burdens and the church's burdens and my friends' burdens and the world's burdens were just getting so heavy. But I believe I was mishandling these cares and the burdens, and so they drained my soul dry. And so when you see this picture of the dried-up ground, that's what it means. We can be dried up, and I was being dried up. I became a part of the landscape, like the picture on our calendars. But these feelings and emotions just didn't add up for this woman who knows jesus intimately and i do i could tell you so many stories of how jesus met me so it just didn't add up who know i know his promises i have seen him keep his promises i know when he calls me i know his word i know that he calls me and he says come to me when my burdens are heavy to take his yoke and find rest for my soul he said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. So why is his yoke easy and light? Because he's on the other side of the yoke. He is there with you and me helping to carry these weights. He did ask the word of God. Like I said, all scriptures inspired by God. So he is saying here, we're to bear one another's burdens. So when you start bearing the burdens all to yourself, there's something wrong with that. What was I doing wrong? I wasn't taking them to the Lord. Now, you've heard before about how Jesus is a carpenter, right? And a lot of times we think in terms of Jesus as a a carpenter building houses. But in the time he lived and where he lived, most of the houses were built out of stones. Well, Jesus knows all about stones, right? He is the rock. And he knows about carpentry. In fact, remember the Passions of Christ? They show him building a table. I thought that was so cute. I love that. Mary was all blown away that he was building a table. She was, "That's never going to work," and it did, of course. It was a movie. But what? It's believed, and I learned this a few years ago, that Jesus and Joseph, his earthly father, was were carpenters, and they built yokes. And a yoke is a wooden tool, basically, that you would put two animals together. And a lot of these people were poor, and they, they might have a full-grown oxen and maybe a smaller oxen. So they weren't level. They, they couldn't carry the equal weight. And so they would make custom yokes and according to what the people had, what they owned. And so Jesus would make a yoke to fit the bigger oxen and the smaller oxen so that they could walk in unity together. And that's what Jesus does with us. He said, take my yoke. Let me walk it with you, not alone. Now, when you look at the artwork, it's um, there's a saying that a picture is worth a thousand words. Now, have you ever noticed a seemingly fragile plant growing out of concrete, or growing out of asphalt, like in our, well, this is growing out of dry land. But have you ever noticed that, like when you go on walks? I've seen, literally, the other day I saw a palm tree growing out of a gutter between concrete and asphalt. I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to get, I couldn't get the picture to show you. But if you look around, you'll see that. Now why is it these seemingly fragile plants, they don't have a brain, They don't say, oh, I'm going to go this way. Uh, Look, i got to get over that. i got to go that way. No, they just move, and they don't have muscle. They're fragile. In fact, a lot of times you can just pluck it right out. But they do it by sheer design to survive and to thrive because they were designed to do it by their creator. Now, listen to Genesis 1, 11 through 12 in the New Living Translation. It says, Then God said, now this is after he already spoke everything into existence, the earth, the moon, the sun, the stars, the whole solar system, the waters, everything. Then he said, let the, the land sprout with vegetation. Every sort of seed-bearing plant and trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kinds of plants and trees from which they came. And that is what happened. I love that. God said it, and that is what happened. Well, this same plan from God is the same plan for us. You see, we, um, God has a plan for his children to, um, who are created in his image to grow and to bring him glory. Now, you see, there is a great danger to us as believers who shrink in times of trouble because it really shows the level of your faith, whether it's low, empty, or none at all, which is what you really need to examine. Do you have any faith at all? The scriptures tell us to examine yourself, whether or not you are even in the faith. And there is an even greater danger to the lost world around us because of us. If they cannot see the glory of God in us overcoming adversity, what hope do they have? If all they see is a joyless, faithless Christian, then they're just seeing more of themselves and the world Now, I just read an article the other day, a couple of days ago, and it was called On the Edge. It says, young adulthood can be a time of great growth and possibility, but far too many young adults told us, this was a survey, that they feel on edge, lonely and directionless, and that they worry about financial security, and rightfully so. Many are achieving to achieve and find little meaning in either school or work. The most common issue was lack of meaning or purpose, cited by nearly 58% of those surveyed. So they are hopeless. They can't see what's next for them. They've got education, they're youthful, but they're worn out. They have nothing. They feel empty. Well, that's what the world dishes out. The world has nothing to give us, nothing to offer us. So beginning tonight, it is my calling to inform you or to remind you and to help you understand why the book of James is really the perfect book of the Bible to learn how to joyfully live out your faith in obedience with the promise of more joy in doing it. The everlasting joy of the Lord. Ezra said, this joy is our strength. No matter what is happening in us or all around us. James 5.8 says, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. James 5.9 says, behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now for those of us who walk with the Lord for many years, it is, right? We know, we have seen horrendous changes you will hear people say all day long I have never seen things like that are happening in our world right now all at once I believe it's because it's coming to a close and pretty soon we're going to hear the trumpet first Peter 4 17 through 19 says for the time has come for judgment and it must begin with God's household that's us. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news, the good news of salvation, to accept Jesus as their Savior. And also, if the righteous are barely saved, do you feel barely saved? Or do you feel totally saved and secure in your walk with him? I do. What will happen to the godless sinners if we feel barely saved? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, and it does please God, and you will find that out as we move through these series, keep on doing what is right. Don't let your trials and your struggles make you go the other way. What are you going to go to? What these young people are feeling? Hopeless? That's where you go. Isn't that what Jesus asked the disciples at one time? when a lot of people were hearing Jesus teach and and they were like, I can't do it, I can't do it. And so they walked away. And so Jesus asked them, are you going to leave too? And Peter said, where are we going to go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. This is true. Where are we going to go? And trust your lives to the God who created you. Much more important to him than a vine. For he will never fail you. How many of you could say amen to that? Has he ever failed you? Never. So now with this first part of the introduction said, um, I'll move on to the second part of my introduction, and that is in James chapter 1. So I hope you have your Bibles. Open up to James chapter 1. He begins by saying, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. Greetings. Now there are three important points to note here in just verse one, so that you can understand the passion and the urgency behind James's letter to the church. By the way, this letter is written to the church, so this series is going to be directed to the church. However, if there are any non-believers that will tune in and stay tuned in. It might help you understand why we are so passionate and dug in to our faith. And you may want to try to get us to change our mind and do the things that are not pleasing to God. But for those of us that refuse to move and budge, um, we're, we're women of faith. We are dug into the word of God and we are dug into Jesus because he is our foundation and we are going nowhere. So you're not going to change our minds on a lot of the topics you would want us to. So I would want you to listen so you could understand why we are, why we have such a loving God. For those of us who will call ourselves Christians and who proclaim to be believers, of lovers of God, of his word, and that's who this, is written, this letter is written to, whether you are just starting out your journey as a new believer or you, have, you can almost see the pearly gates. And I know sometimes I feel like I could see the pearly gates. I'm like, I see you, Lord. I'm coming I'm almost 70 now and I've walked with the Lord for 50 years so I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two if James were here in person he'd say not only do I know a thing or two I was there I saw it and so he has a passion for all that he saw then in um, I'm sorry I skipped a page I don't want to miss it. Okay, so the Okay. There are three points. James identifies himself as a bond servant. A bond servant is a servant by choice. So he was never forced, just like we are not forced. For James to confess this that he was a bond servant in his day was dangerous. In fact, by the time he wrote this letter, many of the disciples had been already murdered for their faith. And that's what they were. They were murdered. They didn't look at it that way. They looked at it as they were sacrificing for Jesus. And all the other Jewish Christians of the tribe of Judah were scattered. So many were coming to Jesus while Jesus was present and teaching them. Many were coming to him. But many came later through the disciples' witness and sharing the gospel. And the persecution started, and so they started scattering them. But James stayed, and he acknowledges that Jesus is his Lord, and he surrendered himself to God the Father and to the Lord Jesus Christ to be their servant. Lord means Christ, I mean, Master, and Christ means Anointed One, the Messiah. Secondly, according to what I studied, along with the timeline of the scriptures, this James is the half-brother of Jesus. Same mother, Mary, but different fathers. This James's father was Joseph. Jesus' father was God Almighty, which makes this significant. Because there was a time when even James didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, he and his siblings thought Jesus had lost his mind and they needed to get him off the streets. You could read that in Mark 3:21 and John 7:5. But I want to read to you what it says in Mark 6:1 through 3. It says, "Then he, which is Jesus, went out from there on the other which was on the other side of the Jordan, and he came to his home country in Nazareth, and his disciples followed him." And when the Sabbath had come, he had began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which he has given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Now those mighty works that he performed on the other side of the Jordan were he delivered a man that was possessed by a demon, and that demon was ravaging him. Much like what we see in our world today, only it's the demon of drugs that's ravaging so many people. You see the population within, it's growing massively. It's, it's just heartbreaking. They're, they're demon-possessed through drugs. And then they said, is this not... I'm sorry, I was going to tell you the other things. The other things that he did on the other side of the Jordan was that he healed a woman who had a disease of a blood issue, which she couldn't stop the bleeding for 40 years. And remember, she all she had to do was touch the hem of Jesus' garment, and she was healed. And also, he raised a little girl who had died, and he raised her to life again. Those are the mighty works he was doing. But then it says... Um, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brothers of James, Joses, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? So Jesus' whole family, they knew his whole family because Jesus grew up in Nazareth, and they knew Jesus. So they, it says that they were offended by him. I, I can't imagine being offended by somebody who was doing all these incredibly great things But they could not see Jesus as anything but their neighbor instead of God incarnate. And So they couldn't explain him, so they decided to reject him. And isn't that the way it is in our world today? We can give study after study explaining who Jesus is, but if they can't accept that, they reject him. And very often they reject him. In horrible ways. Luke 8, 19, 21 says, Then his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because the crowd, and it was told to him by some, because of the crowd, it was told to Jesus by some that your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Now, I'm sharing all these scriptures to point out that this is James, the brother, half-brother of Jesus. Now, I like what Ironside said about this, this particular part of scripture. Ironside is a, um, a Bible scholar who is in heaven. He said, while our Lord was giving this vital message and instruction to his hearers about obeying the will of God and doing, being doers of the word of God and not hearers only, he was interrupted. This would be like me coming up here on a Sunday morning Well, Pastor Joe is teaching, and I come up here and say, Stop, stop. The kids are here. Let's go to lunch. (laughs) (laughs) To interrupt him like that? It's so unreverential to the Lord because the word of God is being spoken. We should never think of any form of interrupting the Spirit as he is speaking today. Whether it be through your cell phones or unnecessary movement, the word of God is to be reverenced. And Jesus, they were interrupting him. And then Jesus answered and he said to them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, can you think of any um, times in your life and in your walk with Jesus That good intentions interrupted the calling on your life, whether they were your good intentions or the intentions of others. Thinking, no, it would be better that you um, not do that right now because you've got to do this or that. Well, that's kind of where I was. I felt like the Lord didn't really need me anymore. He's got plenty of other great ladies that could do this. I'll just go and do something else. And so I and what I wanted to do were good intentions, but they were not the calling of the Lord. Thirdly, I love what Chuck Swindoll wrote about James in this introduction of himself. He could have st- uh, stated in this letter by started in this letter by saying James of the tribe of Judah, of the house of David, of the royal line of King Judah, and that would have been true. He could have said, James, the eldest brother of the brothers of Jesus, the incarnate son of God, and that would have been true. But he didn't boast about his lineage. He humbly admits to being a servant and submitted to the lordship of Jesus. And he finally believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Well, we will be seeing these things later on in the letter that James strongly rails against pride, position, and prejudice. It has absolutely no place in the church to be a name dropper. I am this or I am that. There, ha- there is no place in the church for that. And we will learn these ungodly characteristics in chapter 2 and chapter 4. Now, why am I making James a major point? He not only grew up with Jesus, he was there in the crowd seeing the miracles, hearing the wisdom that came from Jesus' lips, and he was probably even maybe a little embarrassed and afraid for his own life. We need to get him off the street. They know he is our brother. Let's get him off the streets. They were he was Jesus was stirring up the religious leaders and the government who would ultimately crucify his brother. Now aren't we living in dangerous times? Do you pay attention? I said I'm a watcher. I do pay attention. And our new House Speaker is a born-again Christian and he he has proudly confessed that. Well he's already being mocked and horrible things are being said about him out in the world because they want they hate Christians and they don't want us to open up our mouths and share who we are. And sometimes we could be in a position where maybe we are a little embarrassed to admit if you're in a crowd of non believers. Don't let that happen. Be proud, as James is to confess, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. So he stayed there in Jerusalem. He went on to be the first um, Christian, I'm sorry, the pastor of the first Christian church in Israel. When everybody scattered and left, he stayed. Now, continuing on in the letter, I'd like to read our theme verse in the New Living Translation, which is what we have on our calendars. He says, Dear sisters, well, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, but I'm addressing you. When troubles come your way, and they will, remember Jesus said, In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer or be of good joy. I have overcome the world. And because he has overcome it, we can overcome it. That's in John 16:3. When troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity, not a burden, not a disaster, not a reason to fall into depression or backslide or even contemplate suicide because you think that God is punishing you or that he has abandoned you because that is a lie. For you know, and this is what is so important, do you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a a chance to grow. To grow means here is to mature in your faith. And that's what trials are for, to mature your faith. Now, in Romans eight twenty-eight, many of us know this verse, and we quote it often. We have it on bookmarks. We have it on pictures on our walls. It says, For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. And we always stop there. But the key verse is the next verse. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Foreknowing and predestined mean that God knew ahead of time who would accept him as his Lord and Savior. And so he knew in advance. Why? Because he's omniscient. He knows all things. Psalm 139 tells us, if we read the whole psalm, that he knew us before we were even born, before we were even a thought on our parents' mind, and before they even had a name picked out for us, he knew us. So for who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed. That word conformed means to be molded and shaped, to bring into harmony, to be obedient and compliant To the perfect standard. And what is that perfect standard? His Son Jesus. We are being conformed into the image of our Savior. Verse 30 Moreover, in addition, whom He predestined, those He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. He made us right. How did He make us right? By the blood of Jesus. Whom He justified, these He also glorified. So when you are going through these trials, there is glory that will come from it. And we'll learn that in a little bit, what that is. So, let your faith grow. Let it push through all the barren desert land that we are living in. Let it push through all the difficult times and the challenges that you're facing day to day. For when your endurance is fully developed or matured, you will be, and here's the promise, you will be perfect and complete needing nothing you will be content that is to me is one of the greatest gifts to have in the lord is contentment to be content where he has you no matter where that is or what you're in now our theme again is counted all joy i read to you second timothy 316 all scripture can teach us what is right and what is wrong well the whole book of james is packed with godly principles for living godly and living in obedience to what is right in a wrong world. So we're not only going to count our trials as good like we did in, in Romans 8, 28 and 29, but we're also going to count our commands found in the, bo- in the book of James. There are several that work for our good when we clearly know them and obey them. And how many of you know When you do something right by the Lord, you feel good. You feel a peace. You feel joy in it, right? But when you are in disobedience, like I was, you feel sick and you don't even know it. It's because you know you're not where you're supposed to be. You're not obeying the Lord. And so this is the reward for obedience is you have this joy that he gives you because you are doing what is right in the Lord. Now, that word count always takes my mind into mathematics. We are officially in the Thanksgiving month when we should be considering and counting all of our blessings to give thanks to the Lord, right? But do we count our past trials and our current trials as blessings as well and the commands of the Lord that they are also blessings? Well, we are going to do some spiritual math in the months ahead to see if our professing faith and our living faith Add up. So the titles for our studies are all based on simple mathematics. Now, the main denominator in this series will be all and joy. The word denominator is defined two ways. As a mathematical term, it's used in fractions. How many of you loved doing fractions? (laughs) In fact, I had to look up what denominator meant. (laughs) Well, the numerator is the number above the line, which separates it from the denominator. You know, you have like one line, three, one third, which is the number, the denominator is the number at the bottom of the line. So let me give you a little mental and spiritual picture using mathematics. This is the Thanksgiving month. I hope you all have a whole pumpkin pie at your Thanksgiving table this year. It may cost you $50 because of the economy, but I hope you all have one. And if you can't afford one, I hope by the end of this message, somebody in this room will make sure you have one. Maybe me. I'll give you one. (laughs) Well, the whole pie with a can of whipping cream, which brings me great joy, would be the denominator because it's the whole pie which is the number at the bottom of the line the bottom of the line so to speak is Jesus because in Jesus you have it all you have everything you need in Jesus he's all that we need but will you be kind and carefully measure out that whole pie into equal parts To share the joy of that pie with everyone at your table. Um, These others at the table would be the number at the top of the line, the numerator. numerator. Whether it's a new person that's invited to your table that you They're a stranger, basically. Or a relative that annoys you. Or maybe somebody that's been gossiping about you or has treated you badly over the years you may want to discriminate or show a little partiality by cutting up that pie not into equal parts I'm giving her a piece of that pie all right, but it's going to be that big and I'm giving my best friend a bigger piece of the pie (laughs) nope knowing this is do you know that whoever is at your table whoever God is calling you to serve that these are the ones that God the Father loved so much that he gave his only son to die on the cross for, a sinner's death. This was his greatest expression of love. Well, in James 2, 4, and 5, he makes sure we cover that. He warns us against this type of behavior because it has absolutely no place in the church for those who live in the love of God. So, building off this concept of counting, when you saw the titles, like, what? What does that mean? I'm explaining it. We are going to show you how to add joy into your life and into the lives of others by subtracting sin and disobedience. How to multiply your spiritual gifts by joyfully giving them away. How to not be a thief of joy by dividing the church with petty disagreements and, above all, pride. And finally, how to have the fullness of joy by overcoming a fractured faith, by encouraging you to acknowledge, like James did, that Jesus is your Savior and the Lord of your life. Now, the second definition of the word denominator is having a common trait, a quality or characteristic, as like father, like daughter. So if someone might say, the common denominator between Kathy and Jesus is that, well, she believes in Jesus and she exemplifies Jesus' love and compassion and forgiving spirit and his willingness to give it all away. Now, I believe this is one of the most important topics or factors that our brother James wants us to gain from this series. Now, on our calendars, um, the scripture that I've written in there that we are going to be looking to the book of James. As looking into a mirror, and he talks about that in chapter 1, verse 23. We're gonna look into the word of God like a mirror to determine if we are truly experiencing and reflecting the joy of the Lord. Now that is what I had to do when I remember when I was searching. One reason why we're late in the season is my fault. I didn't have vision. I'm like, Lord, I'm not hearing, I'm not hearing what you want. I can't move forward unless you give me vision, Lord. Or do you want to replace me? And finally, when I got in his word, I started digging and I start seeing what, you know, the topic of joy. I started seeing like, all right, Lord, where? And he took me to James. You're not being obedient, Kathy. Now, we're not going to be asking you every time we come here to teach. Well, are you seeing yourself? Are you reflecting the joy of the Lord? But like I had to self-diagnose myself by looking in the word, you need to do the same thing because the, the Lord, the judge, is standing at the door. Now, I'll close by reading John chapter 15. This is where we're going to find our full admonition or counsel that will come from the word of God to more fully understand the incalculable joy of the Lord. In other words, it's infinite. There is no reason why the fountain of joy should ever run dry. It should always be flowing in our lives. Now let me read John fifteen one through through fourteen. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit He takes away, and every branch that bears fruit He prunes that it may may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, when He says that, He's saying that when you accepted Him. You were cleansed from your sin because if we heard the spoken word, we accepted him. So he's saying this to his disciples. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it, is, it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me he cast out it is cast out as a branch and is and it withers and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned if you abide if you abide in me and my words abide in you you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that so you will be my disciples As the Father loved me, I have loved you and abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command. Now, Jesus commands us to abide seven times. In fact, he's very repetitive in these verses. He wants to make sure we understand this. Abide means to stay, like James did, to continue, to dwell, to endure. To present yourself, to be present with him as he is present with you, to be remain fixed, to stand and to do—you know—to abide in the rules, to abide in the word of God, to abide in His commands, to do them. Now, when Jesus spoke these words to his disciples, he had uh, given them a mental picture of a vineyard, kind of like me giving you that mental picture or spiritual picture of a whole pie, right, in mathematics, using mathematics. Well, they were very familiar with vineyards. Uh, In fact, they lived off the vine, whether they ate the grapes or they drank them or they sold them to make a living. So the disciples could clearly see in their mind's eye the importance of this vine. Now, here in, in the Gospel of John, John records the seven I am's that Jesus declared to of himself and this is the seventh of the I am statements he made but he also said I am the bread of life I am the light of the world this dark world I am the light of it I am the resurrection and the life I am the door of the sheep I am the good shepherd I am the way the truth and the life and then he adds and no one can come to the father except through him He made it very exclusive. Every one of these statements are a declaration of his deity, his authority, and his all-sufficiency. So he is basically saying, I am God, and I am all you need. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And then he says, I am the true vine. That word true means authentic real genuine he is genuine so all he can produce <clears throat> excuse me is genuine fruit now let's read verses 9 and 10 again as the father loved me i also have loved you abide in my love now we know that his love as he said he laid down his life for us with that love if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. What did God do? For God so loved the world, he gave, right, his only son. Well, that kind of love is the kind of love we are to abide in. Now, in Galatians five twenty-two through 23, he gives us a list here of the fruits of the Spirit that grew from Jesus through, by way of the Holy Spirit to the genuine believer who is abiding, who is attached to the true vine. Now, the first fruit listed is love, right? Jesus is commanding us to live in his love. His love was agape love, unconditional love. It didn't put a, a barrier to his love. Like, they're not right, there's something wrong with them, I refuse to love them. No, he loves all of us, regardless of who we are, what we've done, he loves us. Now, living in in a loving life in Christ will produce much fruit, right? Joy, peace, long-suffering, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These will all spring up out of a life that is obedient to to the word of God. He said it. And, he, and it will happen. And by this, Jesus said, my father is glorified. He is glorified when, when he said, you ask anything in his name and you'll have it. And it brings glory to the father. Well, he's telling us that in this love, what brings the Lord glory are the fruits of his spirit. Not our works, but how we do them. What attitude we have when we do them. Do we do them joyfully? Do we do them because we're we're told we have to do them? Do we do them um, patiently, kindly? How we do them matters to the Lord. That's what brings the Father glory. Because he says, every branch in me, he's speaking up to the believer, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So the more we do for the Lord, he will want to prune us to produce more. And have you ever cut a rose bush back so that the next season, like this is the time to prune your roses so that in the spring they produce more? That's what pruning is. It's cutting away not to hurt you, but to develop you. And that's what the trials do. They, they produce a patience in us, a godly patience. In fact, the patience that James talks about is the type of patience God has for us, that we would exercise that uh, gift from the Spirit over all those around us. Peter says, In this you should greatly rejoice, though for now a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it be tested by the fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so when we stand before the Lord, and and the whole world knows that Jesus is God, we will have nothing to be ashamed of. Because we have represented the Lord well. We have been obedient in all that he said. And Jesus said, I'm sorry, Hebrews 12.2 says, Looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame from the cross, but has sat down at the right hand of God at the throne of God, and he is there now making intercession for us. So Jesus did his part in saving us. Now it's time for us to do our part in obeying him and bringing glory to him. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and I praise you, my God, for your word, for it is a lamp to our feet, and it guides us. I thank you from the deepest of my soul, Lord God, for always meeting us when we really need to know what your desire is of us, Lord. No matter what it is we desire, I hope that our desires align with yours that we would want to please you just as you want to please the Father, Lord. And in pleasing you, Lord, it always blesses us because we know in our heart of hearts that we are being obedient to your word and nothing to lack. And whatever we do lack, you will make sure that we we get an opportunity, Father, to fill up on that so that we can continue this this church that you developed, Lord. And though it seems like the end is near, we really don't know for sure. So I pray, Lord, that as we grow in the knowledge of your word, that we will not be ashamed to take your word out to this dark world, Lord. There's so many out there like this younger generation that feels hopeless, Lord. They see everything around them and they just can't see a future. May they know that in you, Jesus, there is a hope and a future. And they can find it, Father God, if they would just stop listening to the lies of this world and the lies of the enemy and listen to you, the way, the truth, and the life. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, in the in the months ahead, as the teachers prepare these messages now, showing where we are to find our joy and obedience, Lord, that you will clearly speak to them and that you will bring my sisters back and maybe even more to learn these valuable principles principles to live in these last days lord in jesus name we pray amen